Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast, where we discuss medical mysteries and entertain you with curious and uncommon case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from real people, history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. Patient X is a 42-year-old woman with a lifetime of health concerns. Diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, her own body attacked her healthy lungs and damaged them to the point that they needed replacement. Luckily, she got a set of donor lungs and survived her condition. Seven months later, while at a support group for other organ transplant survivors, she began to feel short of breath. Her heart raced, hives developed all over her skin, and she could feel her throat starting to close. Listen now to find out what happened to Patient X. Welcome back. We made it. We made it again. We're going to say that every week, aren't we? Every <laughs> single week, episode six. Another new format this week, too. Yeah, because we're actually together this time. I can look into your eyes right now as um, we record. My beautiful <laughs> blue eyes. Yes, yeah, so instead of being separate in each other's respective bedrooms, we are here today in my spare bedroom slash medical storage inventory. Yeah, I see a whole lot of urinalysis containers, <laughs> IV bags, and... Um, a lot of shoes. <laughs> oh, and there's a skeleton behind me too. Yes, there is. I mean, it's just Bone Jovi, but uh, he's an excellent anatomical model. He for can us. be our guest today. I'll post a picture of him on our Instagram so everyone can take a peek. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Today we're going to be talking about allergies again. So we had a great interview last week with Dr. Jesse Goodall. If you haven't had a chance to check out episode five, we highly suggest you check it out. He is amazing and had so many great things to say that it was so hard to edit it down because we literally talked to him for another hour after the episode. Yes, even after we stopped recording, we literally chatted to him for an hour. A wealth of knowledge and also just so interesting and... yes has so many great things to say that I literally, he should be our third host. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, he can replace me. Like, no, <laughs> but I am very excited to have him back again. I feel yes. like a little teaser that he may be returning. Yes, absolutely. He will be returning. Uh, we've also gotten feedback from the listeners that they loved listening to him as well too. So if you haven't had a chance to check out episode five yet, highly recommend you check that out. It's a topic called eosinophilic esophagitis. If those words mean nonsense to you, check out episode five. You know yeah, all about and it. and then you'll be an expert. Yes. And learn from what Jesse went through yes. and his personal experience and then also how he now uses that experience to translate to his patient care. Yes. So Jesse gave us a really great introduction sort of to allergies and this idea of delayed response in allergies. So I think a lot of times when we think about allergies, we think about like, oh, uh, like a really serious allergy where your throat closes or you get like a weird sensation in your mouth and it's really serious and you have to go to the hospital right now. 
And of course, we need to like think about that when we're talking about allergies, because it is really serious, life-threatening. But there are these delayed allergies, and that's really what Jesse was talking about, and, this, and delayed sensitivities. So things that aren't full-blown allergies, but are sensitivities. And what we want to do this week is build on that topic that we chatted about last week, about these delayed reactions, and how, instead of being delayed, they can really be right now. And lucky for me, we are here with Emma, who is a fourth year naturopathic medical student and is going to learn us a little bit about the... Teach us? No, learn us. Learn us? <laughs> yes. You're going to learn us some information? Okay. I like switching verbs around like that. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit today about allergies, specifically immediate allergies and what is happening in your body. And then, of course, in typical, probably not lupus podcast fashion, we're going to talk about a case that we found that was interesting. Yeah, so I think the first thing to note when we're talking about any sort of reactions like this is a lot of them are mediated by immunoglobulins. Mm -hmm. So these are antibodies. They are produced by plasma cells or what you might know as just a normal white blood cell. We have them all. They're all over our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, these are super important in the immune response. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, what these immunoglobulins or antibodies do is they recognize foreign invaders. They recognize right. what we call antigens, which it can mm -hmm. be bacteria or viruses mm -hmm. um, or anything that's really not supposed to be there. And these antibodies create a attack and a reaction to destroy them. So branching off of the main topic of immunoglobulins, two main types we're going to talk about. So first of all, which you might have heard of last week because we did briefly touch on like the difference between IgG which is immunoglobulin G and IgE reactions. But yeah, let's go into more detail now for our listeners. For sure. So IgG is found at the highest concentration in your blood um, compared to all the other antibodies. And they most commonly mediate what we call type 2 hypersensitivity reactions. So they're produced during initial infection. They go through a process of rising a few weeks after an exposure and then they decrease and stabilize. But what's important is that the body retains this sort of memory or a catalog of these antibodies that can be quickly reproduced mm. when the a repeat offender happens. Right, right. So as soon as that same antigen comes back, those immunoglobulins are ready, they're armed, they're ready to go and going to take it down. So the generally the subsequent reactions are quicker because they're already made and stored. Right. And your body has a memory. So the first time it built it, it didn't have that memory. Then the second time it built it, it already had that blueprint. So it was easy for it to make those IgG antibodies. Exactly. So that's what the main type of immunoglobulin or antibody that we were talking about last week with EOE and Dr. Goodall. Um, this week we are going to sort of shift gears to another type called IgE, which is mostly indicated in immediate reactions mm. and are present in the blood at very small amounts normally. So you shouldn't have a ton of them unless you are in uh, have an allergic disease or sometimes parasitic infections, although that is way less common now. Yeah, especially here in North America. Exactly. And IgE is what we call is mediate mediates a type of reaction called a type one hypersensitivity. And now I think what's also important to note about these immunoglobulins is we have oversimplified it. Mm. This is the bare bones basic of immunoglobulins. You could literally study immunoglobulins. There right. are there are so many deficiency diseases, there's excess diseases. Right. And just even the structure of the immunoglobulin itself 
can be broken down so much further and so much more detail in terms of the chains, the heavy chain, the light chain, the VLDR regions. Right, right. And they can be mutated. And there's just so many, so much more to learn about immunoglobulins. And just know that we are making it super simple and really kind of giving you a basic like science 101 intro of it. Right. And we've talked about like a type 1 hypersensitivity with IgE and a type 2 hypersensitivity with IgG, but there are also type 3 hypersensitivity reactions. There are type 4 hypersensitivity reactions. So exactly like Emma said, really today we're just going to be talking about this immediate response. We're trying to build on what happened next week. And hey, who knows, maybe in the future we can talk about type 3 and type 4 they definitely have interesting conditions sure. associated with them too, right? Especially thinking about um, immunity and yes. like the whole topic of immunology. It mm-hmm. is a specialty in medicine mm-hmm. that you really don't know a lot about until you become an expert on. Totally. And we're really brushing the surface. Um, there's also, besides immunoglobulins, there's a plethora of other cells also involved. Yes, exactly. Um, interleukins, a whole bunch of different cytokines, T cells, B cells. Like there's so much more in depth. Um, yes but this is not a medical school podcast yes go to medical school for that yes exactly we're giving you bare bones and hopefully enough so that you can learn more on your own and not just become um, a google warrior who maybe reads one biased article and makes their opinion but we're going to try and arm you with some information so you can go out there and look for more information yourself and hopefully critically appraise it in a way that's valuable and useful to you absolutely should we get into it a little bit a little bit of background let's dive in okay great so Hillary, yes. did you know that almost 5% of the general population in North America has anaphylaxis towards a certain food? Wow, that seems like a lot, actually. Yeah. When you think about how many people there are, it is a lot of people that have these reactions. So like Jesse mentioned last week, rates of emergency department visits and hospitalizations for food-induced anaphylaxis have been increasing in developed countries, particularly within that pediatric population. Yeah, that is really interesting, hey, because it's one thing, I think he gave the example about autism, where in the past, maybe we didn't really know how to recognize or diagnose autism. We have more clear guidelines now. So because we have better guidelines, we have more people diagnosed. So it's not really an increase in prevalence. It's just an increase in it actually being recognized and diagnosed. That's not true for food-related anaphylaxis. This is actually an increasing prevalence. It is becoming more common, especially in children. That's really interesting. And I think even us learning about medicine and going through mm. our courses in schools, you we learn a lot about food allergies and food sensitivities. And the doctors and physicians that have taught us have even said very strongly across the board that these sensitivities are on the rise and yes. allergies. and kids used to not kids used to be able to eat anything besides i mean the common like maybe peanuts and shellfish sure um but in general as a blanket statement no like not as many people had allergies no even when we were kids really no very true very true uh like growing up there was never for me i'm a little bit older i'm 34 years old for listeners who are interested and when i was growing up i don't think there was anybody like in my school who had carried an epipen None of us even knew what it was. Yeah, I think there might have been one or two kids who had a peanut allergy, but then it was easy. Like, you just didn't 
they just didn't touch your peanuts. Right, (laughs) right, yeah. And what's also interesting about allergies, too, it's not just medical professionals who notice it. Jesse, again, brought this up last week. Dr. Goodall, pardon me. Jesse and I are friends, so I'm on first name basis. But to (laughs) be professional, yes, he's Dr. Goodall. That even uh, waiters and people who work in restaurants are noticing this. Teachers, yes. uh, Daycare workers. uh, Really, anyone who's working with large pediatric populations or large groups of kids i'm sure you guys have seen the signs or read warnings you know this is a peanut free environment this is yeah. a they're scent everywhere free. now exactly even at, at our school peanut free scent free yes absolutely and 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 again it's not just healthcare facilities it's places like you know restaurants like can i go out and eat at this restaurant and feel safe and feel accommodated and not worry about literally risking my life because someone thinks I'm faking an allergy quote-unquote I had a friend in town um two months ago and she has a shellfish allergy and we had to call the sushi place shout Mm. out to you Alana love you but (laughs) we had to call the sushi place and they couldn't accommodate it so we had to go somewhere else because it wasn't worth the risk right yeah so also didn't even have her EpiPen in Vancouver with her so that's an epsy whipsy yeah but I think what's also important to not just know about them but what do they look like what would you see in IRL in yes, real life. Yes, good call. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people know what a basic um, anaphylaxis or strong allergic reaction looks like. So sure. you're going to have the puritis or itchiness, flushing, um, so someone's going to go quite rouge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, urticaria, which is that... Um, hives. Yeah, hi, hives. hives. I don't Medi- know why I yeah. blanked on that. Medical term for hives. Medical Fancy term for, word hives. for hives. Angioedema, so the sort of puffiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also have edema around the eyes, mm-hmm. which is edema is the simple name for swelling. Okay, this is embarrassing, and I hate that I'm even sharing it because it's definitely not my favorite movie. But you remember that movie Hitch with Will Smith? I don't watch movies. Okay. You, me neither. But weirdly okay. enough, I know this weird movie. It's like a romantic comedy. Very not my style. Hitch. Okay. But in it, I believe he eats shellfish, which he's obviously allergic to. And then like a whole part of the movie is them like trying to get him Benadryl because his eyes are so swollen. He can't even see out of them. And that's exactly what you're talking about with this periorbital. It's so funny that you said that because I also like first week of university, I would just moved into res it was after frost week a girl that i was friends with got we were out just walking down the streets with some other girls and she had this like sudden anaphylaxis <gasps> and her one eye swel- swelled shut oh and my then gosh. like 10 minutes later the other eye was swollen oh, shut no. it was just like a fiasco and like never found out what she was allergic to so wow. there's that but besides the normal, like, crazy symptoms that you would clearly see, you can also see things just like a cough. Wheezing is super common because that airway tends to start to close. Mm-hmm. A sense of choking, again, mm. with the airway. Tachycardia, which, again, medical term for increased heart rate. Right. Dizziness, hypotension. So hypotension is lower blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And then someone can also feel something as simple as a sense of impending doom. Yes, something's wrong. Something's wrong and they just don't know what. Right. But it's bad. Yes. Or in my experience too, if they have had anaphylaxis in the past and they've had these symptoms, they know it's happening again. So that sense of impending doom is the fear of what's to come because they've had that like throat closing before. And usually when you've had it once, unless you're super careful or you find out exactly what it is, it's probably going to happen again. Right. Um, You can also have GI symptoms. Right. Nausea, abdominal pain, colic, um, vomiting, and diarrhea. 
Yeah, and the vomiting is kind of different when it's a uh, GI symptom related to anaphylaxis. People often describe like vomiting amounts, large amounts of like stringy mucus. Ew. And that's because, yeah, their, uh, their bronchioles are actually producing more mucus and their body is having an immune response to this antigen, as you mentioned earlier, whatever it is that they're allergic to. And it's producing excess mucus to try and protect itself, but it's going too far. It's too extreme of a reaction and the patient is or person is then experiencing this uh, nausea and vomiting due to the response to the antigen itself. Scary stuff. It's it's no joke. No, we definitely don't mess no around joke. with this. And it is one of like the first things you learn in emergency first aid, mm-hmm. in emergency medicine, and just standard first aid is definitely one of these things. Or if any of our listeners have ever taken a CPR course or even like a yeah. babysitting course, yeah. I feel like allergies like this are trained for this basic first aid because as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, 5% of people are going to have food-related anaphylaxis. And we're only talking about food-related anaphylaxis right now or food-related allergies, but you can have anaphylaxis to other things too. It's not just foods. Literally anything. Medications, obviously very common as well too. Lots of people have anaphylaxis to like penicillin, very common antibiotic. Really anything. Sometimes Environmental. Environmental. Some people even have exercise-induced anaphylaxis. You can have a response to almost anything. And as you accurately mentioned too, some people have anaphylaxis and they don't even know what caused it. How scary is that? Yeah, that's terrifying. And you mentioned in the signs and symptoms, hypotension or low blood pressure. And we're calling it anaphylaxis, but the actual term for it is anaphylactic shock. And shock is really that result of low blood pressure, meaning that there is not enough perfusion or blood supply to your organs. And so that can lead to death. This is a very serious condition. You don't want to mess around. It needs to be recognized immediately. Which brings me to a little segment that you might have heard before in a prior episode called Annie, are you okay? Are you good, Annie? So anaphylaxis. If you notice any of those symptoms that Emma just mentioned, you want to call 911 immediately. You do not wait. Run, don't walk. Yes, this person needs immediate help. They need to get help right away. The best way to get them that help is to call 911. But the other great thing about anaphylaxis that we briefly mentioned is this wonderful life-saving medication called epinephrine. Or, as you might know, a EpiPen. Yes, an EpiPen. So again, if you've ever taken a CPR course or any first aid training, you will know that an EpiPen is an auto-injector. So uh, something that automatically injects medication, the medication being epinephrine. And that dose is an immediate treatment for anaphylaxis. So there are different brands of the epinephrine auto-injector, the most common being that EpiPen. And although the different uh, devices might work slightly differently, they are all similar in that they use a needle to inject epinephrine and they are intended for a single use. So it's just a one-time shot, help you right now, then you're going to toss it. Lateral thigh can go through jeans. Yes. A magical device. And save lives. Absolutely can save lives. Now, the thing is about, uh, you might think, okay, well, why to call 911 if we have epinephrine, right? We just give them the epinephrine and they're better. Well, unfortunately, the epinephrine's effect will last a shorter amount of time than the allergy will for some people. So the epinephrine alone is not enough to treat their allergy, but it's enough to buy you time to get you to the hospital so that the person can get the appropriate treatment that they need. So this epinephrine should be administered to any person having an allergic reaction immediately if they are having trouble breathing, they feel tightness in their throat, or they feel lightheaded and they think they might pass out. 
Those are sort of the bare minimum requirements for you to know, okay, this person has an allergy, they are having an allergic reaction, and they need this medication. And what would happen if someone had these symptoms, you gave them an EpiPen, and they weren't having an allergy? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to feel their heart racing. I'm sure, sure you can imagine, like, you've seen in movies or something, <laughs> like, giving one. someone... Yeah, it's Push a stimulant. Epi. Yeah, giving someone Anyone epinephrine. Anyone else watch Grey's Anatomy or just me? Just you. I was house, house. Yeah, we differ there. I know. Okay. Yeah, so if you give someone epinephrine and they don't need it, yeah, they're not going to feel great, but they're definitely not going to it's die. Not kill them. Correct. And- Sometimes you might be better safe than sorry. Absolutely. And if you ever have that situation where someone has a history of anaphylaxis, they know they are allergic to something, they've been exposed to that allergy, they're having trouble breathing, they feel the tightness in their throat, safe than sorry, call 911, give them the epinephrine. So just to give you a short list of other possibilities Mm -hmm. that have very similar or mimicking symptoms to anaphylaxis. Right. So it could be acute urticaria, Mm -hmm. just simply angioedema. Mm -hmm. It could be COPD or emphysema going with that shortness of breath, that difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also just a food allergy that they might not be fully in anaphylaxis. Right. Epinephrine Um, might be like too much of a treatment. Exactly. Um, It could also be epilepsy just Mm. as a little bit of a stretch, but to go to something more neurological bronchitis with that cough Mm -hmm. and something I found really interesting is anxiety disorders yes definitely and I'm sure many of our listeners who have anxiety or panic disorders can relate to some of those symptoms of like that sense of impending doom the racing heart difficulty breathing maybe even some itchiness just because you have those symptoms doesn't necessarily mean you mean you have a food allergy but if you are exposed to an allergy, you have an allergy, you're exposed to the allergy and you have those symptoms, then okay, you know what? Let's give the epinephrine call 911. Yeah. So I think what you talked about with the treatment of EpiPens and epinephrine is amazing. Mm. Um, but I think what we always like to focus on, especially in naturopathic medicine is how can we prevent these things from happening in the first place? Right. Absolutely. Because nobody wants to go into anaphylactic shock. Nobody wants no, to be in these situations. Definitely not. So a couple of things that are super important is, um, avoiding those triggers. Yes. So as much as you can, like, even if it means getting your friends to call the restaurant yes. or, you know, really double checking with that waitress that there's sort of no been that there has not been any cross contamination yes. with a peanut or shellfish or whatever it is. Right. Um, something that your doctor should be doing is they should be prescribing you two auto injectable EpiPens. Right. Funny story about three and a half, four years ago, there was a shortage on EpiPens in Canada. Yes. And I don't know if you remember this, Hillary, but I worked at a pharmacy at the time and I remember the EpiPen shortage and wow. panic mothers would come in especially going into the summer when their kids are at daycare and they're at this camp and they're all around, especially for kids who, right. you know, are constant, almost busier than adults sometimes. Sure. And also can't keep track of their own stuff. Um, it's really And important. less cautious about what they're actually ingesting. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So really important for them to have two and pretty much have one with them at all times. All times. Yes. So, yeah, people were coming in terrified that they that their child only had one, and what if they lose Scary. it, or what if they use it and then they need another time, right. and there's a shortage. And right. It was it was a tough thing to deal with for pharmacists, and like how do you distribute appropriately, and what you know what allergy is severe enough to get one? It, it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, right. there was a manufacturing shortage, and it was terrifying. Wow. Another thing. Um, is medical alert bracelets. These oh, can be yeah. useful for so many things. My friend's a type one diabetic, and she mm-hmm. has one. Um, so conditions such as like that, 
anaphylaxis definitely writing your allergies quickly on a bracelet yes. hopefully you don't have too many that they don't fit on that little metal tag sure but um at least being aware enough that if something were to happen you have some sort of indication yes. of what it could be if you can't tell the person what's going on because you're unconscious or can't speak at least you have something to point to to be like hey and when i, I was help. playing soccer in high school and um college one of the only things that referees would let you have on for jewelry was a medical alert bracelet that seems fair it's funny you mentioned like important. having two epipens too um for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, prior to becoming a naturopathic doctor, I was a paramedic. And actually, I wasn't working as a paramedic. I was doing volunteer first aid um, at an athletic competition one year. And someone came up to the first aid tent and he said, you know, I think I'm having an anaphylactic reaction. And I said, okay, well, what makes you think that? And he sort of said, you know, I feel this tightness in my chest. I feel a shortness of breath. And he lifted up his shirt and he had the urticaria or the hives. He said, you know, I have a history of anaphylaxis. I'm allergic to dairy. I think I must have ingested dairy. And so, of course, I naturally asked next question. Okay, where's your EpiPen? Do you have an EpiPen? And his face kind of sunk a little bit. And he said, you know, oh, I, I don't have it. I forgot it. Because they're embarrassed. Yeah, I forgot it at home. He was really shameful. And although I was a paramedic, I was just working as a first aid first aid attendant at the time and so I didn't have an EpiPen in the first aid kit in the basic first aid kit so luckily one of the other first aid attendants had a brilliant idea this was like a large athletic event they went on the announcement like the loudspeaker and they just made an announcement to the arena hey does anyone have an EpiPen we need one right now and luckily within like two minutes 10 different people had run up to the first aid that guy's lucky fully and we got him the EpiPen he needed because he was having a full anaphylactic reaction and we were able to buy enough time until the paramedics got there and then the paramedics were able to administer other medications so they can start an IV with epinephrine they can also provide um, steroids to help suppress the immune system to suppress this allergic reaction and we got him the help he needed but there definitely was that moment where I was like oh no I don't have the very life saving medication I need to help this person right now. I really hope the paramedics get here fast. So happy story, but a quick reminder to all of our anaphylactic friends out there, keep your EpiPen with you. And I'm talking to you, Alana. Oh, oh. shout out Alana. Uh, <laughs> when she told me that she didn't even have an EpiPen with her, I was like, <gasps> but yeah, what can you do? Yeah, you know what? I feel like probably that only has to happen once until you learn your lesson and <laughs> yeah, you carry it quick. with you at all times. Pretty darn quick. And I do wonder, actually, now that we're talking about this, you know, we live in British Columbia, Canada, and there is an opioid crisis happening here. And luckily for us now, um, well, lucky is a weird word to talk about a it crisis, but that. you can walk into a pharmacy and you can request a naloxone kit yeah. and you get it for free. And they'll train you how to use it there. Correct. And that has been life saving for a lot of people for the overdose crisis here. And I wonder if epinephrine can be something like that because it is an otherwise very safe drug. Of course, any drug yeah. can be administered improperly and there are risks to any drug. Um, but in the right hands, this is life saving medication. It's really great that you bring up naloxone because that's again such a great tool i have a friend who's a nurse and she lives in the heart of Gastown, just mm. off the downtown east side mm-hmm. and she has administered naloxone outside her building on the stairs in the alley right next yeah. multiple times and it yeah. saved lives it's absolutely really, so absolutely you kind of wonder is our epipens going to be that or right you know or like you see at rec centers now there are aeds there are defibrillators in rec centers now or you know in public buildings could we also consider expanding our scope to have an epipen to have benadryl or to have you know to have life-saving medications for people 
when something like this is increasing in prevalence, you know, 5% of the general population, that's a large number. It's huge. Yeah, it really is. And if it's something as simple as a medication to buy time to make sure that that person does not suffer a negative outcome, here's hoping that we can get it. So now that we've talked a little bit about anaphylaxis, let's talk about an interesting case surrounding anaphylaxis. Wonderful. So we have a 42-year-old female. She has a working diagnosis of sarcoidosis. Stay tuned for future episodes where we will talk about this more. But it ultimately resulted in destruction of her lungs, and her only treatment option was a lung transplant. Yeah, really interesting. So like Emma said, we'll talk about sarcoidosis in another episode, but the main consequence often of this specific disease, which is another autoimmune disease, interesting theme for our podcast, autoimmune disease. And yeah, this person needed a lung transplant. So she got this lung transplant, which lucky also, for her. Yeah, I was gonna say so lucky because they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. Very hard to get a match for that. Mm-hmm. Seven months later, she ate a peanut butter cookie at a transplant support group meeting of all places. So she's had the her irony. transplant. She's all recovered. She's at a support group meeting to help her mental health, eating a peanut butter cookie, and immediately she developed an anaphylactic reaction. Wow. She. Survived with prompt treatment. Great. Epinephrine again, doing its job. Thank you, thank you. What a great invention. However, during subsequent follow-up, she could recall three prior episodes of wheezing and difficulty breathing after eating peanut-related foods. And we should say... Prior to her lung transplant, never had these symptoms. No, she was totally fine. Yeah, had eaten peanuts many times, never had any symptoms at all, let alone anaphylaxis. So the first episode occurred four days after the transplant. Wow, that's quick. Mm -hmm. So skin prick testing confirmed peanut sensitization. She avoided peanuts, and although her skin prick testing became negative, she still manifested a peanut allergy when formally challenged orally with the food. She was obviously advised to continue abstaining from anything to do with peanuts to avoid this reaction. Um, And this leads us to ultimately tell you that transplant-acquired food allergies have recently become a well-described phenomenon since first reports in the 1980s. Wow. So really what you're saying is this person didn't have an allergy. They had another disease, which unfortunately destroyed their lungs. Lucky for them, they were able to get a lung transplant from another person. That person who was living happened to have a peanut allergy, transplanted lungs into the new person. And now she has a peanut allergy. Also transplant. So not only did she have a lung transplant, but she had a peanut allergy transplant. How crazy. Imagine if that person had had like 17 allergies. Wow. And you're like, great, I'm happy I have new lungs, but screw all these allergies. I didn't want those as well. Now I have to deal with all these allergies. Yeah. Which can almost... Be just as challenging totally a, i i always think food first because mm. i love food sure but so delicious like how annoying it is to be that person at the restaurant right to be like oh well you know all these specific requests and i mean you, you can tell the waitress is annoyed with you the kitchen hates it then you also don't even know if it's been done properly right that you're right so fearful about yeah are people even taking this as seriously as they need to take it interesting I mean, we've picked this case today, but honestly, when I was doing my research, I found several case reports of organ transplant slash allergy transplants. And it's also really well documented in liver transplants and children. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. 
So now part of what they do and they try to find a donor and they're trying to make a match. Obviously, these are very um, short decisions. You know, organs are in short supply and high demand. People need them. And this is now something that they check. They check to see what kind of allergies the donor had and they, they make sure they inform the patient receiving the, do the donor organ that, hey, you might need to avoid these foods because we might also be transplanting an allergy. How interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're not still not really sure what the mechanism is there. Like, are they transplanting the immunoglobulins that they were talking about yeah. earlier with the organ and what it is? Like how transplanting the organ transplants part of the immune system, which leads to this immune response. Maybe one day we'll find out more. Well, and I think it's also important to note about transplants is both having like a blood match a tissue match they're so yes, picky yes and there's so much of a uh, detailed requirements yes. and criteria to be a transplant recipient yes. to avoid rejection of the organ itself yes so but then it's also like you think getting a like a double lung transplant which like we said are hard to get and very absolutely. rare people die waiting for them absolutely um you know can you deal with a peanut allergy i would probably take the lungs and the allergy rather, absolutely you know, yes so. if it's a In peanut allergy yes a peanut allergy or death well hey at least we have epinephrine for the peanut allergy just no peanut butter cookies which is also sad i mean that's true there's other cookies Anyways, <laughs> I hope that you learned something about allergies and anaphylaxis and are able to guide your own research and deep dive a little further if you would like. Yes. Also, let us know how you feel about this new format. So I actually really liked this format. I feel yeah. like we do better this way. I agree. It's um, easier when I can see you in the eyes. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know what? Maybe I just need to, we just need to keep going with this, but let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us know. Also, again, we have our Gmail, probably not lupus at gmail.com, our website. Let us know if you have an interesting case that you want to talk about. We're still very much in the new stages of this podcast. We are open to changing the format or trying new things. So let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. And we'll see you next week for another exciting episode. See you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Google, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and YouTube at Probably Not Lupus. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone in our bedrooms. <laughs> I love that. <laughs>